Alright, I have a question. I have a question. I want you to think about this. I want an actual answer. It's not a rhetorical question. It's a real question. And here it goes. If you were walking down the street, or you're in a supermarket, or you're hanging out at work, or you do whatever you do, and you bump into someone, and they ask you, what is the greatest command of our culture? So, what would be universally accepted as a really good thing to do, what would your answer be? Not what your greatest command is, not what you live by, but what would, the, what would someone in the culture say, oh, I reckon it would be this. What have you got for me? They're asking you. But you're, yeah. Sorry? Do unto others as they would do unto you? Yep. What a nod to that. Good one. You're a nice person? Yeah, great. The more you can think about think, be in the minds of people that aren't like you, the more we can connect with them. So come on. Come on. Oh, Fiona, you your hand up. Alright, next. <laughs> do what feels good and right for you. Yep, you do you. Yep. You hear that a fair bit? Just do it. Yep. I was thinking, um, as long as you don't upset anyone, you can do anything you like. Or um, do what makes you happy. This, this one, this is a good one, doesn't make any sense. Just live your truth. Like, what? What, what is your truth, right? What, that doesn't even make sense. Some of the people I would hang around with might say, oh, just don't be a loser. Just don't be a loser. Jesus was asked the same question by a lawyer who was trying to trick him, trying to trap him. They were in the middle of a spiritual debate and this lawyer asked Jesus that question. The lawyer says, teacher, he wasn't really trying to um, sort of hold him on a pedestal, it was more of a mocking term, a teacher. Which is the greatest commandment of the law? So they lived in existence of the law, law was everything, it was culture to them. What is the greatest commandment? Jesus gets asked. It's an impossible question to answer. The correct question is there is no great commandment. There's ten commandments and they're all pretty good. So to veer away from that, you were stepping on very fragile ground. So, so the lawyer asked Jesus an impossible question. And Jesus is the master of impossible. So he delivers the impossible answer. Much to the frustration of those who would be listening. And he says this. This is in Matthew 22 from verse 37. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And you get the feeling that at that point, the Lord is about to launch in. And it would have been Jesus that like, <laughs> haven't finished. The second is like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets, they hang on these two commandments. Jesus says. Which causes me to ask, well, how do you do that? How do you love the Lord with all your heart? Have you ever thought about that? How do you actually do it? Because your heart loves to love stuff that's not God. Right? It just kind of like is this wild thing in all of us that loves to attach itself and love things and appreciate things that aren't God. What your heart loves is what you end up worshipping. So, it's pretty important 
Could we, could we get our, our minds around this? And to do so, I want to share a story of something that happened a long, long time ago. But this gives context. This has happened numerous times since, in all different ways, shapes, and forms. But this one was quite clear, and it will help you understand the principle that I want to talk about today. So, I, don't, I was looking forward to a holiday, um, and looking forward to having a month off. So, a significant holiday. And you know, as you get close to the holidays, you've got to get everything done. And so, the week before you go away is always crazy, hectic. It's full, you're a little bit stressed. And what was going to happen is we were about to um, bring into employment somebody who was going to start on the Monday, the first Monday that I wouldn't be there. So, so there was a fair bit hinging on this. I was responsible for them. And so we had it all set up. We, we had all the, the job description, everything ironed out. It was like all, all schmicko and like it made sense and it was clear and all that. We, we'd had the financials and everything sorted. We told everyone, we got everyone connected to this idea of this will be happening and this is how the structure changes. So some people have backed away and working out how they fit other jobs and things had shifted and, and changed. And it was all looking really good. With the right person, it was all bang on. And then 4 p.m., as, I, as my custom is before I go on holidays, I go to my email, I make sure it's all zeroed. So if I have an email that I haven't paid attention to, it's unread. So I make sure it's all read and all sorted and everything I need to respond to. Is, and then I turn my autoresponder on, right? That says, I'm away. <laughs> Sucks to be you. Um, and so I get to at, at 10 past 4, when I'm nearly done, for the whole duration, I had to go on holidays, an email comes through from the person who was going to take on the position, right? And start the following Monday when I wasn't here before. And the email comes through. And it's a long one. You don't want long emails on those moments. Now, this is long email, and I start reading it, and you know, you're like half a paragraph in, you're like, oh, it's not a good email. I don't mind long emails if people want to say great things about me, just encourage me, cheer me on. Like, if you're feeling led that way, go crazy. Make it as long as you like. But, but it's, as I'm reading through, I'm like, oh, no. And, and what, I, what, I'm, what was being communicated to me was this idea that, that not sure the position is going to work, not sure I'm the right person for it, not sure the leadership is right, not sure you're right, and it just went on and on, and it was almost like everything that could go wrong with this situation was going wrong, and I was the one personally responsible for it. I wasn't really, but that's how they were seeing this whole thing. 50 minutes away from the holiday, right, for a month. So, I did the only thing I could think of to do. I picked up the phone and I called, and they didn't pick up, right? She don't pick up the phone, I've just sent an email like that, not for a little while, right? Because it's just like, whoo, just keep a low profile for it. So I call, I'm like, oh man. And so I send a text, and I'm just like, hey, got your email, I can see, stuff's not okay for you, can we talk? Because I'm about to go away. And then nothing happens. And I wait, and I wait, and I wait. And as I wait, something happens that I'm sure you will all be familiar with. That growing, feeling gets bigger and bigger, right? Because I'm like, I just want to sort it out and get it sussed and get it squared away. I don't want a month of this hanging over my head. I want to go away and forget about it and then come back in four weeks and go, oh, wow, it's amazing. And so this starts to get bigger and bigger in me. And I realize that I've got a problem. Now this is where the lawyer's question to Jesus becomes a very, very helpful question. Now, can you relate to that sort of space that I just shared? Like, I don't have to talk about employment and things, but you know when you're like, oh, hang on, stuff's not right and I can't do anything to fix it. 
I've been hurt, I've been betrayed, I've just found out a rumour that someone said about me, I've got some terrible news from the doctor, stuff's not right, and I feel like, oh, stuff is not right in me, but I cannot fix it right now. Well, the, the question the lawyer asks becomes helpful, because the question is, well, what's the greatest commandment? Because if I can fulfill in that moment what the greatest commandment is, I win. The person who sent the email, they win. Everybody wins if I can just get this commandment right. It's a powerful question to ask. What's the greatest commandment? What is the greatest thing I can do? What is the thing that if I do it well, surpasses all other options as completely brilliant? What is that? And Jesus tells the lawyer. He tells the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He tells the public. He tells you and I. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. See, when I'm in prayer, or when I'm writing a sermon, or I'm helping someone who's struggling, or I'm sitting down asking to someone, confession, I find it very easy to love the Lord with all my heart. Like when I'm in that sweet spot where God wants me, I'm like, this is, this is easy. But what about when we're under attack? When the foundations start to, to shake, when we're worried or we're concerned about something, when we're tired or we're exhausted of bad news comes in, when we're hurt or feeling insecure, when we're anxious or depressed, when we're lethargic or just lazy, you see your heart will attach itself to what it perceives fills its need right there and then. So what happens is your heart goes, oh bad news, I need to be okay. And it rushes toward something. And it will always automatically rush toward that thing that it shouldn't rush toward. Right? We like to think we've got a good heart. Your heart will betray you. Like you don't, don't put too much stock in your heart. Your heart will betray you. Jeremiah the prophet in chapter 17 verse 9. He says, the heart is more deceitful than anything else. Huh? I enjoy having a heart, not just a physical one, but an emotional one that I can engage with. And then he says, it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? Right now you're thinking, you're not completely sold, so let me help. Okay. So someone hurts you. You don't deserve it. It just happens, right? Someone hurts you. What's your first reaction? What do you first want to do? You're not going to say, don't mind you, but that's what we're all thinking. Yeah, no, it doesn't go down to forgiveness straight away. I'm going to get even here, right? Okay, but we'll warm up. Like, I'm sure just that first one, our heart's a bad one, but the rest we're good, right? What about, what about when some news comes in that worries us to death? What do you do? You just brush it off, right? Like, that's no biggie. You go, oh, I want to take control of this situation right now, and I'm going to do whatever I need to do. And then we get to the point where I go, I can't take control of it. This is driving me crazy. So we sometimes impose ourselves on people or situations or things that we perhaps shouldn't. It's perhaps not the best thing to do, but our heart is saying we need to make this okay. What about when, when you're sad and your heart just feels sad? Your heart will pursue things to make sure your heart is no longer sad and your clear mind will go, that is a dumb idea. But your heart just does what it wants, right? It's deceitful. It will betray you. What about when you're angry? If you get angry, I've never got angry before, but I've heard, um, gosh, all you need to do to learn about anger is have kids, right? Far out. And so, so what happens when you're angry? 
you just go, I'm just going to make a nice cup of tea and sit down and relax. You don't, right? You do stuff that you don't want to do, but your heart wants to do. Maybe help the kids get in line with some loud language. Your heart will pursue the most immediate solution on hand. Sometimes that's a destructive reaction. Sometimes it's abuse, a substance abuse. Sometimes it's distraction. Sometimes it's a person. Sometimes it's that old audio loop in your head that keeps going round and round and round. When bad news throws you into chaos, your heart is not what you should trust. So if you're thinking, I just need to follow my heart, please do. Your life will end up as a disaster, and then you can come listen to the audio, right? You're like, okay, so that didn't work. Because it doesn't work if we follow our heart. We think it's going to give us all the things we long for, but it doesn't. But there's good news. We get to determine what our heart turns to. It's not like we're victim or slave to what our heart does, to what we feel in the moment. We get to determine what that looks like. So I was listening to a story this week by Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley is a pastor in uh, the States, uh, very, very effective in his ministry. He has a number of church plans. And he tells a story of when he was 30 years old, kind of getting into ministry, and, and this crazy situation that took place. He got a phone call from a father one day. He said, my daughter and I need to come and speak to you. The worst thing that could ever happen has happened. Can we meet? So of course, Andy says yes. And they come into his office, and he's like, what on earth am I about to encounter? Who's dying? What's the horrific news? And then the father says, says, I'm beyond devastated, but let me tell you, my daughter has decided to date a colored man. And Andy went, And then he then proceeded for 40 minutes to spew out this kind of rage-filled racist theology of why his daughter shouldn't marry or shouldn't even date a, a colored man. And it went on and on and on. And he was like red in the face and angry and just full of rage. His heart was so attached to this, this principle that he had. And, and he kind of kept going until he ran out of steam. And then once he finished, he reached inside his jacket pocket and he says, oh, I'm sure he's going to pull out a gun and just shoot everyone. And he pulls out, you're wondering what it is, an arrest warrant. And what had happened is he'd gone to um, the, uh, the judge and got himself deputised in light of the fact that he couldn't convince his daughter not to date the colour guy. And if this was the case, he'd be deputised to arrest her and take her to hospital as a mental patient and have her assessed there. It's legit what happened to her. So he pulls this out and he's just like, What? He says, thankfully, there were a couple of police on campus at the time. And so he said, can I take this and just make sure it's legit? When I found the two police officers, they said, yeah, it's completely legit. He has the power to do that. We don't understand how, but he has the power to do that. And then he says, can you do anything? And they said, well, we can, um, the only thing, the only option you've got is that we arrest her and take her down to the holding cell. And we can sort things out from there. So Andy suggests that, they put this to the daughter, the daughter says, oh yes, please, I'll take that option, thanks, right, that's how bad things were. And as this thing is just a complete mess, Andy has this idea, he says, he says later on, he goes, it was like this divine moment of inspiration, I'm like, I need to do that, so he says to the father, can I speak with you? And they step back into the office, and he realises that no amount of like, um, arguing or logic or reasoning is going to shift this guy's point of view. And so he says this. 
says, you have a choice to make right now that will affect the rest of your life. You can hold on to what your heart is set to as right and lose the relationship you have with your daughter forever. Or you can choose to love your daughter with that same heart and work through everything, but you won't get what you feel your heart wants now. Father, silent. And he calls the daughter back in, who asked the police officers to escort her in, comes into her office, and it's silent for such a long, long time. And the silence finally breaks as the father takes the arrest warrant and steps towards his daughter and then tears it up and says to his daughter, Pastor Stanley says I should do whatever I can to love you and while it's going to be hard, I want to commit to that. Embraces her. You see how God's good news neutralizes the father's bad news? They go in in a situation that just says bad news all over it. It's clinging to some bad news. And then God says there's good news here you can take. It requires trust. It requires challenge. But there's good news here you can accept, you can listen to, you can receive. And it changes everything. He gradually restores everything. You see, when we ask the question, what is the greatest command? What does Jesus most want of me in this situation? When we ask that about our bad news... It gives Jesus the chance to answer us with his good news. To say, okay, well, give me some of that bad news. I want to give you some of my good news. And that is called the gospel. It's called the gospel. Gospel was a cultural term. When, if you ever said gospel to somebody who didn't go to church, you get a weird look, right? They wouldn't know what you're talking about other than connotations they may have got through the Simpsons or through Hollywood. Um, but back when it was used, when it was first used, it wasn't a religious term at all. It was actually a term that was used in society, and it was used by um, the, the authorities of the day to usher in a new king. So when Caesar was born, King Caesar was born, they would say, um, the good news is that your king and saviour has been born, has arrived, and that king and saviour was Caesar, right? It wasn't Jesus, it wasn't God or anything like that. So they would use this word, good news, which was translated gospel, which was, so euangelion, euangelion is, is gospel, to say that the king has arrived and he's in charge now, and that's a good thing. But they talked about Caesar. So the Christians went, oh, the same thing happens for us, except the king is Jesus, and he can fix everything. So they used this cultural concept to talk about Jesus coming. Now in our day and age, the gospel message, if we were still using that, would be what we receive every six months from a new political party. Good news, you've got a new Prime Minister. That's not good news. That's not going to be very helpful. Every six months it just kind of repeats the whole process. But it was about someone in power coming to have reign and rule and authority. So when the Christians started talking about gospel, they said there's this good news that a good king is coming, that Jesus is coming, and he's coming to rule and reign and fix up these circumstances and fix up your situation. He's going to bring good news into your bad news. And we know you don't, don't, don't um, deserve it. And we know that this whole dynamic is one that you can't escape from. But God steps into that and says, I will, I will give my very life to prove to you that you are worth it, that I love you. 
And so God responds to us, He comes to us with His grace and His compassion, His forgiveness and His love to offer it to us, to say, you, you don't deserve this, but that's the whole point, that's why it's so beautiful. And He offers it to us. He takes our bad news and He gives us good news. Timothy Keller says, We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. And yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. When we start to believe that, when we start to believe that Jesus' good news is a real thing, things start to change. The way we look at circumstances, the way we think about ourselves, the way we think about other people begins to change. Because if that's what God has done for us, we saw all of a sudden it's hard to hold that against another. If, if we've been released from all our sin, then all I have to give another is love. And so it starts to change the way we think. And as we start to change the way we think, we've received this good news, we start to change the way we think, it starts to lead our hearts in a different direction. So our hearts are led more to God than to revenge or to bitterness or to holding a grudge or to a rejection of, of, of whatever. And when our hearts find Jesus, they fall in love and we are free. That's what Jesus knew when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. His statement was saying, I want to lead you to a new space where everything is different. Just, just follow me. Do, do as I do. When I forgive someone, it won't make any sense. I'm hanging on the cross and I forgive someone, it won't make any sense. But if you do it, you'll experience this, this new thing that I'm doing. You'll realize that you don't have to carry all that stuff around. When, when you see me give away everything to the poor and think, what have I got left? You'll see that I'm richer than I ever was. So Jesus says, come, come follow me. Trust me. Give it a go. Chance it. Risk it, haven't you? Jesus meets us in our bad news and he offers us good news. That's what the first few days of my holiday were like. See, this email comes through and I'm stirred up and go home and complain to Mindle. I'm like, what do you do? And then the next day I wake up and go on holiday and I feel like I've been ripped off. I'm like, hang on, I'm supposed to be able to go on holiday and not worry about this stuff, but I'm still worrying about it. And as the holiday goes on, potentially this gets bigger and bigger and bigger for me. Now, I don't know if you've ever been on holiday and you're worried about something significant, but it's horrible, right? It doesn't feel like a holiday at all. It just feels like you're worrying in some other location. Um, and the reason I was worried is because I wanted something. My heart was yearning for something. Now, what was my heart yearning for? Revenge? To, to get even? To get an explanation? To talk it through? To explore it? To discuss it? For some fairness, for some what is going on here. And all this other rubbish. All this other rubbish is what my heart was clinging and crying out and wanting. But my heart wants to betray me. I can't trust it. It's deceitful. I'm sicker than anything. The gospel, however, that's something completely different. This is good news. If I dwell on my bad news, it gets worse. But there's this good news that Jesus offers me. And the good news is that I don't need those things. I don't need an explanation. I don't need any sort of fairness happen. I don't need any revenge. I don't even need to know what happened. If I truly trust that God's going to take care of it. I don't need those things. In fact, I probably don't even need to worry about it as an issue. If God is true, if what Jesus said is what He meant, if I can trust loving Him with all my heart, then that's what I should do in this moment. 
And what I've realized is every other solution other than the good news of Jesus, it is unsubstantial. It's not enough. And it always leads us to more brokenness. It just doesn't do the job. And I see it in friends of mine that don't know Jesus at all, and they are still ticked off and angry and bitter about a tiny thing that happened a thousand years ago that they can't even remember. Like, and the person that did it has no clue. They're just doing whatever they want. So how much does that happen? We, we take on board, we hurt, we grab all of this stuff, and we feed the bad news, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And the person who does it is just like, happy hands. They've got their own stuff, but it's got nothing to do with us. So what's happening here? We're imprisoning ourselves to the power of others. And they haven't asked for that. They've just been venting and doing whatever they did. So I realize it's, it's easy to pull it up there and go, so there you go. Just accept God's good news for your bad news. Good luck with that. See ya. But that's hardly fair, is it? Because you're all going, okay, now I might be sold on the theory, but how do you actually do that? So I want to talk just a little bit about how you actually do that. When the bad news comes in, how do you deal with it? How do you handle it? But what happens? So firstly, you need to identify what emotion it is. Because anything that happens, it will stir an emotion. It will stir a reaction in you. It might be rejection. It might be fear. It might be anger or embarrassment or humiliation or doubt or whatever it is. So you identify it. So for me... When, when that email came through, the emotions that I was feeling is I was confused. I'm like, I have no idea what is happening. What on earth is the backstory that has led to kind of this, this eruption? And then I felt angry. I felt angry because I had 50 minutes to go till I was on holiday. I felt angry because we could have had a coffee and talked about this when I got back or even right then. This email was just like, Argh. And then, I'm ashamed to say this, then I felt grieved and compassionate for the person that I know I should have felt that first. I hope that as I go through life, that becomes my first reaction. But then I had this, this like, the, the person in the situation that they're in that caused them to, to say that, it, it, it must be just um, such a dark place that they're in. And then I felt fearful. I'm like, well, what does this mean for all these different things? What does it mean? And what happens is we, we don't force ourselves to be that articulate about our emotions. We don't force ourselves to, what am I actually feeling? What's the response of that in me? We let things run rampant. And they, our heart just kind of like, like cannibals from the stuff and just destroys stuff. You know what happens when we respond to that bad news? Like when we don't orientate our hearts toward God? We, we cut people out of our lives. That's what we do, right? This is just, I don't like this person anymore. We cut them out. They're no longer our friend. We throw them away. We retaliate. We end friendships. We, we, we hold grudges. We damage other people's reputations. Our character is shaped by that, that situation. That maybe as I'm speaking, you're like, oh, yeah, maybe I've, maybe I've done that a bit more than I, I wanted to. But here's the issue, and you're not going to like this. You're not going to like this at all. You ready for it? I'll run away. Everyone's going to be looking at you if you run away. Here it is. The major problem in all of this is you and me. We, we are the problem. Not the other person. Not that, in my case, not the email sender. We are the problem. That's not good news, is it? That's, that's, that's just rubbish. 
The reason it's bad news is because when it came in, we interpreted it and accepted it as bad news. We kind of took God out of the equation, like God's got nothing to do with this, this is just hatred and horrible and awful and anxious and all that, and I'm going to take this on, and it's bad news, and therefore I'm going to retaliate against that person or that thing or that system. But what if we don't do that? What if we say, well, what is the greatest commandment in this moment? I know the greatest commandment is for my heart to to love God with everything. So how, how do I do that? Well, we go... I need to somehow find a way for my heart to move forward. What is the greatest command? What is the greatest command? It gives my heart a chance to respond, a chance to, to feel some space and to know what God wants. And here's the whole sermon, you ready? Here's the whole thing. My heart, your heart, my heart, loves the owner of the news I listen to. My heart loves the owner of the news I listen to. I get bad news. Somebody says they hate me. My heart then belongs to hatred. Unless I choose to listen to some different news. I get rejected by someone. My heart belongs to rejection. And it just sits there and dwells there. Unless I listen to some good news. I get some horrific news that's just really worrisome. And my heart could belong to anxiety if I choose to listen to it. My heart belongs to the news I listen to. Listen to the bad news. Your heart will love and worship it. You don't want it to, but your heart betrays you, right? It's deceitful. You can't trust it. Listen to the good news. Your heart will love it and worship it. And the good news is Jesus Christ. Right? So when I fear, I'll just name some of those, those kind of emotions that I was feeling that email came through, right? This is what I did. Because I didn't want a month of being... Like under the weight of this, I wanted it, like Jesus take it right right now. And so, so I I identify when I fear, Jesus speaks to my heart, and Jesus says, "What are you fearful of? I've got you. You're secure in me. I, I, I've got this, and I've got you. Don't spend energy being fearful in that. Press into the security that you have in me, not in what's just been shaken." And then I get to choose, right? When I'm hurt, Jesus speaks to my heart. What someone else, so what, and Jesus speaks to my heart and he says, what someone else took from you, I'm going to restore. I'm going to give back. Why are you worried about what, I've got everything. Come to me. Don't worry about what's taken from you. I know it's not fair, but it doesn't matter. It's mine to repay. I'll take care of that. You just, just come here. Just occupy yourself with me and then we choose. When I'm grieved or, 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 or concerned for another person and I can't do anything, you know, we know this situation, right? You're like, oh, my heart just hurts for them and I can't do anything. Well, Jesus says, just give them to me. I'm taking care of them. I'm surrounding them, I'm lifting them up and I've got them. I'm more concerned about them than you are. So just stand with me in this and then we choose. When I'm angry, Jesus speaks to our heart. He says, what right do you have to be angry? Oh, I wish he said something nice. What right do you have to be angry? You're only angry because you're valuing something more highly than my work here. So get off your high horse and choose what's going on. And so I chose 
on that Friday afternoon to obey the greatest commandment, to risk it, because it is a risk, to risk obeying the greatest commandment. It took about three days of wrestling for it to calm down in my spirit and be no longer there. So we had three and a half good weeks. Didn't look like we had all good weeks, but my first three days, not too crash hard. The leader didn't call back. Remember, I phoned, I texted, there was no call back, there was no nothing. And so, so we got to day three, and I realized that I am completely powerless. God, this is completely up to you, whatever you will be done. And then I came back from holiday, and I opened up my emails, and there was an email that was waiting for me from this person. It started off by apologizing. Now, I hadn't raised any issues. I called and said, I can see you're really upset, can we talk? And then I texted the same thing. And they apologized, they explained what, why they sent the email and what was going on in their world, which had nothing to do with me, right? Completely separate. But it just like it needs to spill out somewhere, so it spilled out in my direction. And then they asked that we could sit down and have a chat. Well, that's a great idea. Just a month late, right? And we all lived happily ever after. No, we didn't. You never do, right? That's not part of the, part of the way it, it goes. But when we hear bad news, we can listen to it, or we can listen to Jesus' good news. That's the choice. And Jesus says, here's the good news. It's for you right now. Just, just take it, just accept it, just play around with it, just risk it. But know that your heart will love the owner of the news you listen to. And here's more good news. This very week, you're going to get to practice this. Like this. No, 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 no. But you will without me doing anything. Because we live in life, right? And life is unfair and stuff happens. And so there will be things that happen this week where, where you will have the chance to gossip and you will have to choose to do that or to do something else. Where, where you will have the chance to deny someone love, to hold back forgiveness from someone, to prefer yourself over someone else. To dismiss someone who feels less important than you are. To bail on a commitment that you've made. You will be wronged or hurt or betrayed or have something taken from you. It's just what happens in life. You'll be misunderstood, you'll be misunderstood, you'll be treated unfairly and you will have a choice. To listen to the bad news and become slave to the owner. Or to listen to the good news and become freed by Jesus. Sounds so easy, right? As if you wouldn't. Now for some of you, this might be like ground testing to see if faith is something you want to continue to invest yourself in. Well, well if, 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 I, if, if I'm going to, if this stuff's, if Christianity is real, then this is a really good way to, to explore whether it's real or not. For some of you, you may have been like, keeping all this stuff that we've talked about today in, that, in the shadows, you know how we can like turn up to school group and, and church and that we're thinking, yeah, I'm on, I'm on board and I love Jesus and I worship and all that. And then we go back to that the, the shadows where we do treat people with rubbish, where we don't kind of advance in our faith as we like. And maybe this week is an opportunity, a chance for you to step into that space. For some of you, it's like this is I just yeah, I want to do this because it furthers the intimacy I have with Christ. It furthers the strength of my spiritual world. I want to cheer you on. But, but we have the greatest news on the planet. It's amazing. It outweighs all other news. So listen to it and believe it and trust in it. And you'll be able to love your neighbor as yourself. Which is what Jesus brilliantly talked about that day 
when he shared this with us. Let's pray.